You are listening to Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, with your host, Randy Sutton. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. It's been a little weird time lately, hasn't it? Uh, if you've been listening uh, to the last few week shows, you'll know that there was something a little bit different. Because of the COVID, uh, I unfortunately got it, and so um, I couldn't really be around people. So uh, so there was a, quite a difference in, in the way we did the show. So we're all back now. I'm healthy, I'm happy, rocking and rolling, and uh, the, the, uh, the voice of American law enforcement here on America Out Loud is back. Bigger and better than ever. Lots of stuff going on. I mean... Uh, I don't even know. I don't even know how to comment on some of the insanity that's taking place. But let's take a walk into the brief room where I'm going to give you my view from the blue. Defunding. What a new novel name we have. Defunding the police. Another another wonderful idea by Black Lives Matter and Antifa and other assorted groups and politicians. Defunding and dismantling. Dismantling is another word that I never ever thought I would ever hear when it comes down to reasonable people and leadership of, of cities and, uh, and, and towns who have suddenly come up with this just ridiculous idea. This ridiculous idea of of dismantling and and defunding the police. So here's what's going on. Um, law enforcement around the country has been under attack in ways that uh, uh, I, I never I never could have thought would ever happen in our country. There is a a, a system in place now that is uh, uh, from New York City to Minneapolis, to California, where there are uh, city leaders and, and, and shockingly are falling prey to this, this uh, garbage narrative, uh, blaming the police for every social ill that exists. This madness, this irrationality began as a result of the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Um, the, this, the video scene of the uh, Minneapolis police officers uh, sitting on him and kneeling and holding him down while he uh, said he couldn't breathe uh, literally has wreaked havoc across the United States. Um, I'm not going to get into the merits of this case, but uh, there's going to be a few surprises along the way that are going to shock people. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind as this case comes closer and closer to trial. But the irrational response to it is something that has been absolutely shocking to me. Um, from, from, the, from the people of Minneapolis, um, the, the leadership allowing their city to be burned to, to looters uh, and basically making excuses for them, um, saying that, 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 it's, that it's the police. This whole thing was, was caused by the police. Rioters in, in, in New York, rioters in St. Louis, shootings, um, crime, and, and basically 
the cops being told to stand down almost universally while allowing this rampant criminality to take place all over the country. And now uh, de Blasio, who's got to be one of the most incompetent, uh, agenda-driven mayors in history, has now taken a billion, you heard me right, with a B, a billion dollars out of the, the uh, budget of the New York City Police Department. Uh, now, what is happening as a result of this? Crime is through the roof. Violent crime, shootings. Uh, they had more shootings in one weekend this this last week than than uh, the, for months. You know the the months tallies. Um, so here's what's happening. They're they're getting what they're asking for, and they're still blaming the cops. It's astounding, astounding. The, the city leadership demands that the police basically not even defend themselves. They've created new rules and regulations that basically if a cop puts his hands on somebody, it, 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 it not only is it against the policy, but they've criminalized it. It's madness what's going on. It's madness. They're, they're in Colorado, uh, this insanity is taking place. In California, um, and all based on the lies that systemic police racism is responsible for the killings of black people all over the United States. It's nonsense, it's lies, it doesn't, it's not even, it's not even near true, but the truth doesn't matter because never let the truth get in the way of a good narrative. Money is pouring into, millions and millions of dollars is pouring into, into the coffers of of uh, Black Lives Matter, um, institutions are are running away from the facts and embracing half truths and, and and complete lies about the police. Um, a, a race car driver, uh, race car NASCAR driver, uh, um, who who wanted to uh, help the police and show their her support. Uh, uh, the, from the, the, the Rook team, uh, NASCAR truck team, they, they lost sponsors. They, they got threatened by, the, by NASCAR uh, because they wanted to support the police. What is going on in America? This is insanity. And it's out of control. Out of control. The police around the United States are being attacked physically. They're being attacked sociologically. They're being attacked... Uh, politically, they're 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 facing the worst the the worst violence on on record, um, and and these attacks are being led not not just by Black Lives Matter but by their own politicians, their own leadership. It's it's madness, and and then Biden. I don't like to get talk about politics. But Biden comes out and, and supports it and says, yeah, you know, uh, I think that uh, money to the police needs to be redirected. And then when the biggest police unions or one of the biggest police unions comes out and says, for the first time in history, supports a Republican for president, President Trump, he starts backtracking and trying to, to hide his, his, uh, uh, his words. This, America is in trouble, my friends. America is in trouble.
and we need to put a stop to it. Anybody with any intelligence needs to vote out these politicians who are who are debasing our police. Get involved. If we don't do it now, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I, I There's so much more I want to say, but we've kind of run out of time. But uh, we'll be back again next week, and we're going to go into depth into the madness that, that America has become when it comes down to law enforcement. We got a great guest waiting for us in the interview room, and um, we will go and reconvene there. I want to tell you about a product that I never thought that I would be speaking about, let alone <laughs> endorsing and admitting the use of, and that's CBD. Uh, I, I was completely ignorant to it until some people that I have worked with were telling me that it worked so well. Um, I had people tell me that they had arthritis pain and they used uh, CBD cream on it. And, and there was just a, several people. Well, I, I didn't give it much thought, really, until a retired New York City uh, police officer uh, came to me and said that he was in the CBD business and he wanted to advertise on this program. So at first, I got to tell you, I was a little nervous. Uh, I was a little uncomfortable. But he told me all about what this product does. It's called Luxfite. And um, it comes in all kinds of different preparations. And he said, look, why don't you try it, see what you think. And um, if you believe in it, then, you know, I'd like to advertise. So I did. And I do. Luxfite. Go to LuxviteCBD.com. Uh, Luxfite. That's L-U-X-V-I-T-E-C-B-D.com. It's got all kinds of uh, potions and, and, and all kinds of um, uh, ointments, etc. Uh, I got to tell you, I am impressed. It has no THC content. That was one of the things that, um, that this uh, uh, owner of this business told me about. And he is a great guy. Uh, spent uh, many, many years in law enforcement, retired from the NYPD, and he wouldn't have gotten involved in it until he did his research, and he did. Great products. LuxviteCBD.com. That's Luxvite, L-U-X-V-I-T-E-C-B-D.com. Check it out. I think you'll be glad you did. If there is one thing that I truly love, it is my morning coffee. I, I, I love it. I love it. I probably drink three to four cups in the morning, and there is nothing like that first sip of that rich brew. Well, guess what? Uh, there is a coffee company that you have got to try. It's Law Dog Coffee. Law Dog Coffee is a police-friendly, because it is uh, not only a police-friendly, but uh, Law Dog is the number one sponsor of the Wounded Blue. And so I got to tell you, I am more than uh, appreciative of what Law Dog Coffee does for, for injured officers. But I wouldn't drink it unless it was really, really good. There's all kinds of different blends. It is amazing stuff from Costa Rica. And it's uh, uh, brewed, excuse me, it is manufactured or uh, roasted, excuse me. That's the right word. Roasted in a facility that's been around for 90 years from the same family. This is amazing coffee. Of course, donut shop blend is my favorite. I, I don't know why. But it is truly amazing coffee. Go to LawDogCoffee.com. That's LawDogCoffee.com. 
it is amazing stuff. Um, it'll they deliver it directly to your house. Uh, you go on a subscription. Trust me, this is some of the best coffee you will ever have. And they donate uh, very heavily to the Wounded Blue. So check it out. Law Dog Coffee. Tastes so good, it ought to be illegal. Did you know the average person spends 26 years of their life sleeping? The real troubling statistic is that we spend seven years of our life trying to get to sleep, struggling with racing minds, tossing and turning. If you're one of the millions of Americans who need better quality sleep, the time to change is now. Sleep is proven to extend our lifespan, protect against terrible diseases like cancer, heart disease, and dementia, make us more attractive and thinner, feel calmer and happier, and boost energy levels, memory, and performance. Until now, most sleep supplements haven't worked, but a new easy-to-swallow sleep gel invented by the leading nutrition company Healthy Cell is designed to support all four stages of human sleep to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake up refreshed. It's called REM Sleep. To get a free two-night supply of REM sleep, visit HealthyCell.com sleep. That's HealthyCell.com sleep. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. As we celebrate our four-year anniversary, thank you for making it all possible. Well, should it news deliver truth and inspire us to reach higher? With blogs, podcasts, video, and 24-7 talk radio on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We are the vision of the voices, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. With me today in the interview room of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, is Gabe Crocker. Now, Gabe is an interesting guy. He's a former police officer, having served 17 years with the St. Louis County Police Department. He's also the former president of the St. Louis County Police Association, one of the largest police unions in the state. He is also in his 14th year as a professor in the criminology department at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. But he's also, he is the principal attorney at the Crocker Law Firm in St. Louis. He represents police officers and first responders in all matters of their job, including criminal charges, internal affairs investigations, officer-involved shootings, post-licensing, on-duty injuries, critical incidents, and all disciplinary matters, including termination appeals. 
He also offers training and consulting services to law enforcement agencies throughout the United States. Gabe, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me here on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. Randy, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, um, there has been a lot happening in the St. Louis area that um, has been very negative towards law enforcement. I I speak specifically, I've been spending a lot of time on issues in, in the St. Louis area because when Kim Gardner was uh, was elected as the state's attorney down there, the prosecutor, things radically changed for law enforcement, and I've been uh, I've been very critical of her, and uh, I see that uh, that she's garnered a lot of attention in anti-law enforcement um, prosecutions. Now I know that 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 is your area, so. What are your thoughts about activist prosecutors in general and the fact that uh, that she has recently charged a young man for a traffic accident uh, who was a police officer, and uh, re- which resulted in the death of a young girl? But when you look at all the other cases she has been involved in, this isn't quite being treated the same way. I think I can speak for probably the majority of people in the entire St. Louis region when we say that it would be great if the circuit attorney in the city of St. Louis was prosecuting felons and, and you know, convicted felons and, and uh, uh, persistent criminal offenders as aggressively as she tries to prosecute uh, police officers. It's important, uh, Randy, not to conflate some, some types of progressiveness or uh, attitudes that look at the criminal justice system differently. I'm not as averse to some of, you know, some of the policies that uh, may or may not impact first responders and how they're treated in our, in our criminal justice system. So what I mean by that is some changes to the courts can be very useful. For instance, I, I helped a another attorney here in St. Louis and represented uh, a veteran who (laughs) struggled with PTSD. It led to some very low level criminal behavior and some involvement with law enforcement. And fortunately, we had a court system in place, a veterans court, much like we have DWI court and drug courts. And I've, I've even seen some of the successes that come out of those programs. You know, people can keep their jobs and uh, uh, stay employed and go to counseling and, and, and you know, get counseling and, uh, for mental health or for, you know, alcohol or substance abuse problems or addiction problems. And I, I don't have any issue with some of those things. But what we're running into here in St. Louis, in particular with the circuit attorney's office in the city of St. Louis, are, uh, I mean, absolute, pl- absolutely plummeting numbers of prosecutions for really serious felonies. I mean, a lot of folks that are in their homes and uh, mourning the loss of relatives who were murdered violently or sexually assaulted, uh, robbed, and those folks aren't getting any justice at all because in most cases, even when there are confessions, even when there is video evidence, the circuit attorney's office won't pursue those type, those, those charges. And, all right, let me, let me stop you there. Sure. Um, we have seen, we'll get back to her in particular, okay, sure. but we've seen a number of 
quote, activist, unquote, uh, prosecutors get elected throughout the country. We have uh-huh. Krasner in Philadelphia. We have Bowden in San Francisco. We have, uh, I mean, they're, they're literally all over the country getting elected and, and they're getting elected on the platforms of basically not prosecuting criminals. How is this, how is this uh, trend uh, affecting the law enforcement community? It, it, it affects the law enforcement community uh, with results that we, with negative cons, uh, you know, consequences, with results that, that, Randy, we may not know for years. We may not ever, ever understand just how damaging those effects are, not only to police work, but again, to the community. Because, you know, it, it, we would be disregarding the elephant in the room if we didn't say that, uh, you know, there are racial components and, and very complicated institutional and governmental and societal problems that come into play here. But when you throw in a rogue prosecutor who, and I'm not just talking about in, in Missouri, I'm talking about nationwide, and their, their persistence really is about going after law enforcement, going after other first responders, uh, that is problematic. When you couple that with some of the changes in law enforcement and the, the issues that we had in a post-Ferguson law enforcement era, that is uh, a really, I, I, I don't think I'm overstating, Randy, when I say I think it's a deadly combination because I think it's deadly for the citizens because criminals are emboldened. Uh, it's deadly for police officers because criminals are emboldened. And it has deadly consequences for the citizens because criminals, once again, are emboldened. They know they're not going to be prosecuted. They know that there's a little, there's very little likelihood that they will ever do time in jail or, or prison, uh, even for very serious criminal offenses. I'm not talking about minor stuff. I'm not talking about speeding tickets. We're talking about real criminals here, really bad folks who hurt people every day. And when prosecutors don't do their job, it hurts everybody. You know, I, I recently had a guest on my on this program. Um, he was head of the District Attorney's Association, the National Association. And one of the questions I posed to him was, how come there are no consequences? You know, er, the, when a, law enforcement is constantly being criticized and you hear uh, government officials and activists screaming, there's got to be accountability, accountability for the police. But why is there no accountability for district attorneys and their failure to act in, in, uh, in the public's good? Well, in an ideal world, you have a, a very good system of government here. You know, we can put anything under a microscope and, and it's going to have its problems. But in general, you know, the three branch system of government works and you hope that uh, that a prosecutor would do their job and uphold the law. Certainly, there are going to be uh, slight differences in the way one prosecutor prosecutes something in one county over the other, and that's that's kind of the local control. But when you have someone who it, it just uh, have dismal results, dismal performance, uh, nearing 100% turnover rate and eight, some, in some cases 70 to 80% reductions in the number of violent felons being prosecuted, that moves beyond the problem. And I'm not going to say it's a problem. That moves beyond 
the larger discussion about overpopulation in jails and debtors' prisons. You know, again, I'm very amenable to some of these things, but but it is important. Prosecutors, uh, and I've worked in a prosecutor's office as an investigator, and I know so many prosecutors in St. Louis, they're dead in the St. Louis area, they're dedicated. They're, they're, they really are truly uh, hard, the, some of the hardest working folks that you'll find in the criminal justice system. And when you have a rogue prosecutor, it just, it, it kind of, it's like pulling out a, you know, a card at the base of a house of cards. It, everything just kind of crumbles. And uh, here we've not only had, we have the side effects of these really vicious and, and unfounded attempts to prosecute police officers and even former police officers here in St. Louis with disastrous results, usually civil unrest, riots, and things of that nature, because folks that are frustrated with the police, and they are certainly entitled to have that opinion or that belief, and in some cases, it's probably founded. But what we can't do is have our cities burn down every time a police officer is you know, acquitted when in reality they should not have been charged in the first place. And that's what's important. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really, that's a very important point that you're making now, you know, in, in, uh, in the case that's, that's taking place presently, um, it, it attracted my attention when I read about this, this young police officer, um, on patrol, uh, going after a violator, not going very fast. And a, and a young girl was hit by the patrol car um, in, a, in a traffic accident. And the, and the district attorney, instead of handling it like a, like a normal traffic accident, is going after this, this young man um, criminally. And, and for the life of me, I can't imagine what the morale on that agency and that, in that area must be when they know that everything that they do uh, could be, could now lead to a prosecution. It is a, it, it has a, a, it creates a deafening silence by some officers who just are, they're not only worried about ramifications from within their own agency, uh, and they're also worried about uh, inappropriate or, or uh, you know, kind of headhunting prosecutions by a prosecutor. And that doesn't lead to uh, uh, increased productivity and, and increased applications and a, and a more diverse uh, workforce in, in law enforcement. It, it, it has the opposite. It's a deleterious effect, you know, that these types of prosecutors and, the, and this aggressive anti-law enforcement agenda by someone who is in the arm of the you know, of the criminal justice system. They're a critical component. Police officers and prosecutors generally work together in order to prosecute criminals. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm never one, and I've never been one to, to, to step aside from uh, these types of cases and say, well, police officers just shouldn't be held accountable. I, I don't think that. I'm sure you don't. Uh, and many police officers listening can very reasonably say, well, I understand there, there's consequences for our actions. But when there are malicious uh, prosecutions and political prosecutions of police officers just to get the headline, uh, and then later the cases are lost or dismissed, 
that is a real problem, and it has such a an imp, a negative impact on police officers uh, and 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 admit and police administrators throughout throughout a region. You know, St. Louis, in the case that you're referring to here, Randy. You know, I'm representing that officer along with another gentleman by the name of uh, Joe Hogan. And we work with a lot of great uh, defense attorneys here in the St. Louis area who who dedicate or focus a part of their law practice to defending police officers. This may come as a, uh, a surprise to some people out there, probably not your listeners, but police officers have rights too. And what's interesting is when you see the rights of police officers being steamrolled by a prosecutor who's supposed to defend those rights and will not prosecute criminals who have victimized the same citizens in the same area. And it's so disheartening and it's so frustrating. Uh, The the case that you're referring to uh, is a tragic, tragic accident. Uh, It is something that is appropriate in a civil court system. And because of all of the, because of the increased scrutiny in the St. Louis region, and I mean the entire St. Louis area, not just the city of St. Louis, you have to understand that when this accident occurred, you know, this, this got a lot of attention. And there are people throughout the, 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 the police departments in this area who are saying, we're not, you know, I'm not losing my job. I'm not going to, going to sacrifice my integrity. I'm not going to do any of those things. And so this investigation worked its way up and down the chain of command through the entire St. Louis uh, City Police Department. And it was determined by multiple people that there just simply were, there was nothing criminal here. It was an accident. And then the circuit attorney's office launched an independent investigation outside of the law enforcement investigation, which they're permitted to do, but it's usually not to this degree. They keep finding uh, results that are uh, different than those that are being found in law enforcement. And that's also very frustrating. When, when we're talking about a, a, a prosecutor, they have immense power. They have, uh, and basically, um, you know, she has been, Kim Gardner has been called to task for basically her entire term. This is not a new behavior for her. She no, was... and, and, and it started, I, I'm sorry, Randy, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but this is an important point. You know, it started with the, with the prosecution of, of the, the a former governor here in Missouri. And, and it, again, we can go down that rabbit hole, no need to today, but, you know, you know, was there something there? Maybe, but was it prosecuted effectively? Absolutely not. And uh, the prosecution of Jason Stockley and, and, uh, which was a five-year-old case that was investigated by uh, the Department of Justice under Eric Holder under the Obama Obama administration. It was investigated locally by different agencies, and it was repeatedly found that there was no evidence of any criminal behavior. And yet somehow they, you know, miracled out enough of their own opinions onto onto an indictment and, and got him indicted. Of course, he was acquitted. And subsequently, there were, you know, tens of millions of dollars in damage to the city of St. Louis, all for this very uh, vengeful and, and unfounded prosecution. And the, the defense attorneys that did that, you know, that, that, that worked that case, a guy named Neil Bruntrager, who's a, a close friend and mentor, and another close friend and mentor, Brian Milliken, they worked on, on that Jason Stockley case. And, and, and ultimately, he was acquitted. Uh, but they've also done other cases and several of the other attorneys here. Most of the cases against the police officers 
are dismissed or they're not guilty verdict or they're just thrown out of court because it's 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 obvious what the intent in some of these cases is which is just get the headlines get the you know booking photo uh you know distract away from you know our problems that we have in our own office meaning the the prosecutor's office in the city and by by gar- you know by getting the different headlines uh police officers indicted they just they they're they're kind of relying on their base which are people that are not all anti law enforcement it's just that they they maybe are not as appreciative or they don't understand the complexities of law enforcement that's where my work as an instructor or a professor at the University of Missouri in St. Louis comes into play because I do engage with so many students and from so many different backgrounds and learn a lot about why different people of different heights and weights and colors and, and, and ethnic backgrounds, why everyone has a different view of law enforcement. What I truly believe from the bottom of my heart is when we have these politically motivated prosecutions, it hurts everyone. It even, ironically, hurts the supporters, the ardent supporters of these types of, of um, prosecutors who really are very vengeful uh, and anti-law enforcement. It hurts their fo- it hurts their people as well. A- absolutely correct. And I actually had uh, Jason Stockley on this show. Um, we talked in in depth about his experience. I mean, talk about a venomous, um, I mean, basically illogical uh, arrest. Not only was he, he was not indicted originally, she took office and then went after him. Uh, the poor guy is, is, you know, had left town by then and winds up getting put in handcuffs by a SWAT team in, a, in, right. a, in another state, yeah. brought back and then tried. I mean, it was astounding what uh, the, the levels that, that Gardner went to to produce this prosecution with zero evidence, absolutely zero evidence. And yet, today she still serves. Right. And there, uh, there has been an ongoing uh, uh, investigation into her office by a special prosecutor uh, in the St. Louis region. And, uh, you know, that is still ongoing. You know, this is, this is something that isn't about someone's race or their gender. This is about simply looking at the widely available data that shows the drastic reductions in prosecutions and uh, dismissals of cases and increasing numbers of violations that occur, uh, such as you know not providing discovery uh, and, and and not engaging in you know maybe ethical legal the ethical legal standards that are required, and you know you've seen those things increase. Victimizations of violent crime still increasing in the St. Louis area and prosecutions of those individuals uh, going down. And uh, it, 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 it's just, it's very difficult to explain. Uh, I don't like to pretend, I'm generally more of an optimist than a pessimist, but there is a dark cloud hovering over the, the St. Louis region, uh, in particular our, our police officers that are out there because it's, again, you have those external forces that, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not arguing against accountability. I'm arguing against headhunting and trying to take out 
police officers uh, so that your supporters get a, a little chuckle at night before they go to bed. And then when that prosecution fails, uh, many of the same people then get to go out and burn it and burn down a city and, right. uh, and damage, you know, hardworking, the property of hardworking people and business owners and, uh, and throw rocks and, 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 and do the things. Again, I'm a pretty open-minded guy about most things, Randy, but uh, that's what I'm talking about when I explain that people can oftentimes be, have their opinion about when an officer is indicted, but when the officer is acquitted, then you got to start looking at, well, who did the prosecution and why did it go that way and why, why wasn't it successful? Just putting, you know, putting, you know, bounties out on police officers is not the way to, to control crime and prosecute and, and effectively, you know, try to control crime in a city. It's a bad practice. It's unsafe. It's bad for the community. It's bad for everybody. And, and, and uh, what's, what's truly unfair is that um, uh, she acts with impunity because of her immunity. There are some there. Yeah, it's, it's Randy, you're, you're really hitting at something. And, and I, I mean, I won't uh, get too far into the weeds on it, but let me tell you, it is, it is important that prosecutors have some immunity. Uh, you know, it allows them to do their job and they, you know, without supposed to, you know, in a perfect world without, you know, political interference and, 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 uh, uh, you know, political agendas, but that's not always the case. And here, uh, what we're seeing is we have a lot of ethical concerns and legal concerns. However, uh, there is still a, a veil of immunity that, that prosecutors across the country can hide behind uh, if they choose to. Uh, I think that, again, I'll lean towards the optimistic side and tell you, I don't think that's the case in the majority of places, but certainly it is a festering problem in some. You know, you, you're in the St. Louis area, you're still living in the shadow of the Ferguson uh, debacle. And, you know, uh, when you when you think of of the injustices there, I mean, the, the true victim in that, in that incident was, uh, was the police officer involved in it. And he is still under the shadows, um, basically in hiding because of the way that the, the uh, media portrayed his actions. And there is still a movement afoot uh, to to prosecute him, so the, I mean, this is something that I cannot imagine um, with the law enforcement community there. Uh, there has just got to be a, a a bunker mentality taking place, and and the additional stress of worrying about um, about a false prosecution. It, it's something that's on everyone's mind every single day. It's why so many people. Uh, you know, here in our area, and this varies throughout the country, but, you know, here we have a, a strong presence uh, from the national, you know, the Fraternal Order of Police and, and legal services that are provided uh, to, to, to police officers. But it is, again, it is a, it is a deafening effect. It, it has a complete lock on how much police officers do here and how they go about doing it. Uh, but again, I, I mentioned this to you when we spoke 
uh, even prior to, 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 to today, uh, which is that this isn't just an external problem, Randy. It's also an internal problem because you have police commanders and police chiefs and sheriffs. It's not so much around here, but again, throughout the country, uh, these police officers uh, that, that, you know, go through the ranks and end up becoming, a, you know, an executive command staff person or, or a chief of police, they now have to worry about their job and their pension and, you know, trying to get their last three or four years at a top salary. So when they retire, they're, you know, they care about that stuff uh, as well. And so you have not only the rogue prosecutors, but in some cases, overreaction by local elected officials and police executives, because the first thing they do is panic and want to create distance between themselves and the police officer. And in some cases, the police officer didn't do anything wrong. And that's where one of the things that I'm most passionate about, uh, you know, I, I will be the first to admit that I know quite a few great law enforcement commanders, uh, some that I've met throughout the country at different training that I've, that I've gone to, uh, and quite a few locally. Uh, but when I tell you that that's a rare breed, that is that my assessment, my opinion, but I think oftentimes you'll find that police chiefs and and elected city officials in small towns and medium towns and big cities, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll talk about how much they appreciate first responders, but they're oftentimes the first to cut and run if they don't like the, the smell of something uh, or if there's too much heat coming in, uh, they'll bail. Well, and, there's, uh, there's no doubt. Multiple, we've seen that a multitude of times just here in the St. Louis area where one little tiny incident it, you know, there's a cell phone and, and the media gets it and, you know, they blow it out of proportion and then all of it, you know, and the next thing you know, the police officer suspended. And I mean, it's just, and it just rolls downhill. So the, again, it's not only those external forces like a, a rogue prosecutor, but also internal forces within an agency that uh, where the self-interest and the uh, ego and narcissistic mentality of some of these law enforcement executives is to cut and run. It's a two-step process. Cut and run. No, that, and that's you're, what you're, a lot of these police officers have done to them. No, I, I couldn't agree more. In fact, um, I interact with, with literally hundreds of law enforcement officers a month. And there is a, a, uh, one particular philosophy that uh, I have heard that that runs deep and that is i'm more afraid of my own administration than i am of the criminals on the street and that is i think one of the saddest um uh issues that that law enforcement officers feel well and 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 again i don't I, this is a passionate topic for me and i and i hope that anybody that's listening just gives me a fair shake and understand that I'm, I'm painting with a relatively broad brush as we're talking to a very large national audience. And I have knowledge of things outside of the state of Missouri, of course, I'm, I'm not living in a, in a, uh, a box here, but uh, my, uh, the majority of my experience with law enforcement commanders is here. And I can tell you, it's generally not very positive. Uh, the only people that lie more than criminals, uh, are police chiefs. And, um, they, you know, they, uh, they, I, I've got, I've got, I'm representing at least three police officers right now where I have unequivocal, undeniable proof that a law enforcement executive lied and uh, it's going to be a real problem for them. 
And I wow. take great pride. I take great pride in doing that, Randy, because, uh, you know, when these folks ascend to these positions and, the, and you know, it, I understand that there's a political component to it. But if you don't have someone at the top who is truly standing behind the brave men and women that work on their police department and, you know, that, that, that are that have a, a philosophy of, you know, shoot ready aim. Yeah. when it comes to a police officer's rights or a police officer's ability to explain his or herself in a, in a critical incident. Uh, I have watched Randy videos uh, like I'm sure you do. And I, and I've seen s- several episodes of your program uh, 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 online, you know, with the video components to it. And, and I can see some of the most brutal interactions uh, with police and, and, and offenders, violent offenders or, or, or cop killers out there. And most of them I can watch and go, I can see why that might, may have, excuse me, let me rephrase. I can watch most and know that that police officer didn't do anything wrong. Right. Exactly. There are some that I can watch and go, Oh, I see why the public would be confused about that. Sure. Sure. Uh, and there are others where I go, that officer is probably going to have some problems. And I, I mean, I think that's one of the greatest things about uh, our profession is that I think most of the police officers that are out there are doing a really darn good job. I got, and, I've, got, I've got to stop you there, Gabe. We have run out of time. Um, how can uh, our uh, listeners in the St. Louis area, or if, if uh, they want to get hold of you for training, how do they sure. contact you? Randy, thanks again for having me on. Yes, I, I have been consulted on, on a couple of cases outside of the state of Missouri, and I'm happy to provide uh, uh, advice and counsel uh, on things that re- are regarding to training, deadly force, Miranda, uh, uh, programs involving counseling, things of that nature. And it's just my first name, Gabe, G-A-B-E, at Crocker, C-R-O-C-K-E-R, lawstl.com. Great. We'll put that link up. I, Gabe, I appreciate you taking the time to be on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement today. Uh, a great insight, and uh, we'll have to have you on again soon. Thanks, Randy. In my 34-year police career, I'm really proud of a lot of the accomplishments. And um, there's something that, that I'm most proud of. And I think that in the, in the years since I retired, I think the most important thing that I could ever have done was to create the Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. It is a 501c3. It is a charity. There is uh, an incredible amount of work that's gone into this. And the people involved, I got to tell you, we have uh, uh, a peer team that is incredible. All of the officers are part of this peer team have been shot, stabbed, beaten, run over, screwed up and screwed over. They provide peer support to injured and disabled officers, whether those injuries are physical, emotional, psychological. And uh, you know, here's the thing, when you get hurt on the job, many people believe that you're gonna get well taken care of, both uh, uh, through your department and the city, and you're gonna get good medical attention. Well, the the reality is quite different in many, many places. there are so many officers who have been thrown away once they have become injured and disabled. If you are one of those officers, contact us at thewoundedblue.org and uh, we will provide you peer support because that's what we do. We also have an incredible program 
Code 4 Total Wellness. This is unbelievable. 24-hour-a-day telemedicine with licensed MDs. Discounts to dental work. Discounts to x-rays and prescriptions. Uh, financial counseling and wellness. And most importantly, the Confidential Assistance Program for Emergency Responders. This is an unbelievable program. Uh, it is life-saving. It can save careers, marriages, and lives. Go to thewoundedblue.org. The thewoundedblue.org. See who we are. See how you can help. Because I got to tell you, uh, these men and women need all the help that they can get. And your donation of five, ten, fifteen bucks can make the difference for the for for one of these men and women who has been injured in the line of duty. Check it out. Thewoundedblue.org. Uh, we have an amazing documentary film on Amazon called The Wounded Blue, and also a series uh, on YouTube. Go to YouTube and then punch in Wounded Blue TV, and you'll see our series, Voices of the Blue. Check it out, thewoundedblue.org. End of Watch with Randy Sutton. The first is Police Officer Anthony Dia of the Toledo Police Department in Ohio. Police Officer Anthony Dia was shot and killed after responding to a disturbance at a Home Depot store on West Alexis Road, 12.30 a.m. A drunk subject had started to harass participants of an informal car show that was in the parking lot. Officer Dia was the first officer on the scene and attempted to contact the subject. The man produced a handgun and opened fire, striking Officer Dia in the chest. Despite his wounds, Officer Dia was able to return fire as the man fled. The subject fled into a nearby wooded area where he committed suicide. Witnesses to the shooting began to provide medical aid to Officer Dia. Another responding officer transported him to a local hospital where he succumbed to his wounds. Officer Dia had served with the Toledo Police Department for two years, previously served with the Mercy Health Police Department for two years. He is survived by his wife, two sons, and parents. The next is Assistant Chief Gail Green Gilliam of the Phoenix City Police Department in Alabama. Assistant Chief Gail Green Gilliam died after contracting COVID-19 as a result of a presumed exposure during an outbreak with the Phoenix City Police Department. She was taken to a hospital in Columbus, Georgia, where she remained on a ventilator for several weeks. She had served with the Phoenix City Police Department for 33 years. She survived by her husband, son, two daughters, grandchildren, and siblings. She'd also been a foster parent for special needs children and adults. Assistant Chief Gail Green Gilliam, Phoenix City Police Department, Alabama. End of watch Wednesday, June 24th, 2020. Chief Deputy Lee R. Weber of the Hughes County Sheriff's Office in South Dakota. Chief Deputy Lee Weber drowned in the Missouri River two miles north of Fort Pierre while attempting to rescue his eight-year-old son who had fallen out of a moving boat. Multiple agencies were involved in search and recovery efforts for his body. Chief Deputy Weber drove into the water without a life jacket in an attempt to reach his son, but was swept away by the current. The son was rescued by other nearby boaters. Chief Deputy Weber's body was recovered on July 9, 2020. He was a veteran of the South Dakota National Guard, has served with the Hughes County Sheriff's Office for five years. He is survived by his wife and six children. Chief Deputy Lee R. Weber, Hughes County Sheriff's Office, South Dakota. End of watch, Friday, July 3, 2020. Police Officer 
Edelmiro Garza Jr. of the McAllen Police Department in Texas. Police Officer Edelmiro Garza and Police Officer Ismael Chavez were shot and killed from ambush while responding to a domestic disturbance call at a home in a 3500 block of Puerto Street. They had approached the front door of the home when they were suddenly ambushed and shot before drawing their weapons or making an emergency broadcast. Other officers who were sent to check on them came across the scene and immediately requested backup. The subject who ambushed them committed suicide as additional units arrived on scene. Officer Garza had served with the McAllen Police Department for nine years, and uh, they uh, have their end of watch uh, Saturday, July 11th, 2020. Corrections Officer Kenneth Harbin, Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Corrections Officer Kenneth Harbin died after contracting COVID-19 during an outbreak among staff and inmates in the Daniel Unit, Snyder, Texas. Officer Harbin served with the Texas Department of Criminal Justice for over 30 years. Corrections Officer Kenneth Harbin, Texas Department of Criminal Justice, end of watch, Saturday, July 4th, 2020. Police Officer Jonathan Shoup of the Bethel Police Department in Washington. Police Officer Jonathan Shoup was shot and killed in the uh, 10,000 block of Wood, Woodenville Drive following a vehicle pursuit. The pursuit started at 9.40 p.m. when he attempted to stop a vehicle. The vehicle fled the stop, struck a pedestrian, and then crashed onto Woodenville Drive. The occupant of the vehicle emerged and opened fire on the officers, killing Officer Shoup and wounding another. The man was apprehended six hours later, hiding on the roof of a nearby building. Officer Shoup was a U.S. Coast Guard veteran and served with the Bethel Police Department for one year. He is survived by his fiancée, mother, and two brothers. Police Officer Jonathan Shoup, Bethel Police Department, Washington. End of watch, Monday, July 13th, 2020. Correctional Officer Jose Marquez, Cook County Sheriff's Office, Department of Corrections, Illinois. Correctional Officer Jose Marquez died after contracting COVID-19 during an outbreak among inmates and correctional staff at the Cook County Jail uh, in Chicago. Officer Marquez had served with the Cook County Sheriff's Department for 16 years. He is survived by his wife and five children. Correctional Officer Jose Marquez, Cook County Sheriff's Office, Illinois, end of watch, Sunday, June 28, 2020. Border Patrol Agent Enrique Rositas, United States Department of Homeland Security. Border Patrol Agent Eugene Enrique Rositas died after contracting COVID-19 during a presumed exposure while on duty at the McAllen Station. Agent Rositas was a U.S. Air Force veteran, served with the United States Border Patrol for 22 years. He is survived by his wife and son. Border Patrol Agent Enrique Rositas, Customs and Border Protection, end of watch Saturday, July 11, 2020. Police Officer Ismael Chavez, McAllen Police Department, McAllen, Texas. Police Officer Ismael Chavez, Police Officer Edelirmo Garza were shot and killed from ambush while responding to a domestic disturbance call on Cata Street. They had approached the front door of the home and they were suddenly ambushed and shot before drawing their weapons. Other officers were sent to check on them, came across the scene and immediately requested backup. The subject who ambushed them committed suicide as additional units arrived. Officer Chavez has served with the McAllen Police Department for two and a half years. Police officer Ismael Chavez, McAllen Police Department, Texas. 
and of watch Saturday, July 11th, 2020. Each of these men and women served their communities with pride and distinction and gave their lives in the line of duty. May they rest in peace. Hey, thanks so much for joining me this week on this episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, here on America Out Loud. Listen, follow me on Facebook. It is the voice of American law enforcement. Uh, Also, Twitter, at LT Randy Sutton. Oh, I think I have some other social media accounts, but I don't use them that much. So, Facebook, if you've got some story ideas or some feedback, hit me up over there. And we will uh, we'll see you again next week, right here on America Out Loud.